Yes, welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Gage Clark. This is, I don't even know what episode, but you could probably figure that out by looking at the title of the episode. Um, Today, I'm going to share with you a little bit about my experiences and some new ideas that that I haven't uh, brought up on the podcast. So... So I've had this experience with um, psilocybin mushrooms in uh, the forests of Yosemite. So I walk into the forest and I've just consumed them about uh, 20 minutes ago. And the first effect feels almost like a bodily sensation that you would experience from sprinting a bunch, and it's kind of like that exhilaration or um, feels like a lung feeling of some sort. Um, But this effect was not too noticeable. The sounds of birds in the area started to sound echoey, and this might be due to being an enhanced awareness of the reflecting of these sounds on the mountain walls. So, to give you a clear idea of where I'm at, if you if you haven't looked it up, look up Yosemite in Google Images or something, and you'll you'll see what it looks like. Basically, it is. I am just entirely surrounded by these giant rocks that are kind of strangely shaped mountain-like structures. They are super massive, and the trees that I'm in, uh, the forest, uh, they are very tall, thin trees. The area that I'm at particularly, they are some thick trees as well. There are actually redwoods that are in Yosemite too, but I wasn't in the area with the redwoods. So, let's go back to the story. As I walk through the forest, I look at the top of the trees, and I notice that the clarity of detail in the texture of the bark at the very top of the trees, it appears as if it was lensed. It's as if I'm looking through a magnifying glass. It's very surreal. And I began to stare at these details and noticed the subtle movements in the branches of these trees and wondered how it could be possible to experience such lucidity. 
While I continued to stare, I noticed this sense of the sun glaring at my back. The warmth was incredibly radiant. I grew intensely cozy, almost tired. A sense of profound euphoria emerged and things began to escalate. The way that the echoes in the walls of these giant rocks reached me, and the way that my vision appeared to me, it was as if these experiences were blending together, as if some symphony playing like music together in one orchestrated experience. Normally, that is not how my experiences feel. I don't know how to describe my normal experience, but the experience is bland, normally. Um, but the, ex the difference of experience that I was having in these moments, it's almost similar. It's comparable to watching a movie, a film in which everything seems to blend into one scenery of art. In real life, I do not necessarily feel that life feels like a movie. There are moments, though, where things become intense enough to feel like a movie. Many of you probably felt this during the beginnings of the pandemic. Many of you may have also noticed that you become numb to the experience of the pandemic. I noticed that the beginning, though, this pandemic almost felt like a horror movie. Everything felt pretty surreal. It was a kind of similar experience um, on the psilocybin in the Yosemite forests. Although the experience wasn't negative, and it was much more intense than, uh, than what the pandemic felt like. So, the something that I noticed was that the experience almost felt as if it was ringing, almost like, kind of like those scenes in the movies where um, someone might have just woken up and you feel that ringing in your ears and everything is kind of coming into clarity. I feel like that is a good um, symbol or representation of what this was like. It was as if there, there was no sound, just to be clear, there was no actual ringing, but instead it felt as if the experience itself was somehow buzzing and getting more intense and the clarity was increasing beyond what I was familiar with in my waking life. This continued until what I would describe as vividity the moments of clarity. Everything in my mind slowed to a stop. The mental chatter was being forgotten as I was too fully distracted by the world in front of my eyes. It was as if I was watching an immersive film. I was able to notice the direction of each sound with each step I took. I could tell which side of my hearing that this was coming from. All of the sources of the sounds 
were clear. They were very surround sound and very apparent. Where normally I feel that my experience is a little bit more abstract. And I can't, I don't always pinpoint the location of where the source of the sound is, as easily at least. Unless I focus my attention on those sounds, I think that is when I am aware. So in this sense, the experience is it's as if I am able to focus on everything with immense depth all at once, at the same time. That is what is unusual and unique about this experience. As I crouched, the leaves on the ground buffered some of the sounds coming from the mountain walls. It was as if I was shielding away from those sounds, creating a quiet bubble space near the ground. I could distinguish each echo vibrating from the walls of these mountains, but the more that my distraction increased, I ceased to register those echoes as being explained by the mountain's influence on acoustics. All of the explanatory elements of my experience dropped away as I continued to see clearer and clearer in a kind of lifting up straight into divine sensation, like a moth chasing a lamp. It's as if once one stops holding on to their word world, as I like to call it, one begins to slip into total sensory experience. So this word world, this, it's as if, how can I describe this? It's as if your normal modality of reality is to see the world lens through uh, all of the systems you've created with your language, all of the things you think you believe because of what you've learned through language, and also um, basically just everything you've learned for the most part besides what you experience through your senses. Normally, we kind of simplify the way that we view the world in order to communicate it and make sense of it, but we also begin to believe these abstract um, versions of reality. We talk about things like, we might talk about a spectrum of some trait that someone might have, like let's say a personality trait, when uh, in reality... Uh, the reality may be so much more complex that it could not even be described as a spectrum. So we have all these different ways of seeing the world that aren't necessarily accurate. These are essentially models. And a lot of them are guided by the simplicity of our language, the frailty of our language, and our ability to communicate these concepts heavily biases what we are uh, able to talk about, and so much of the world is entirely comprised of what we can talk about. Academia is entirely based on being able to communicate that idea to the rest of the academics, and then those ideas are further simplified into abstractions through science communicators to the public. 
So much of our experience of life is incomplete, is a complete compression of what is out there in real life. And during this experience, it is much of these oversimplified ways of seeing the world, but also the memories and conceptualism behind the experience that is just dropping away. The more one slips into this experience, one begins to forget what life is normally like. An ascension, leaving conceptualism behind in pursuit of the supreme euphoric sensory masterpiece that unfolds before your eyes. And then, as I took out my phone, the experience suddenly halted, including the euphoric body high. It seemed to generate entirely from my attention to the experience in which the phone distracted me from what was occurring. It restored the word world, the mindscape of conceptualizations, definitions, meaning, and interpretation of the sensory world. It seemed that a higher dose, though, might have likely hurled me straight into such sensory scapes where I could get lost in the experiential domain of subjectivity. It seemed that this conceptual universe could be turned on and off, that I could maximize my sensory experience as a trade-off for my understanding my supposed understanding, in quotation marks, let's say, because uh, this is really a abstracted, oversimplified, language-biased model of the world that we're talking about. So this could be traded off for supreme sensory experience. And I think this is because um, we are guiding our perception and the way that we see the world through the lens of our language-biased models. For example, when I look at a tree, I do not expect it to move. I expect it to be hard. I expect it to be stiff. I expect it to basically behave as if a dead or inanimate object. I don't expect it to suddenly lunge at me. And so this is informed by my memories, my experiences, and what we learn through the word world, through academia. And a lot of this is what is able to be turned off. And the more that it's turned off, I think this forces us to pay attention to what's happening around us so that we can figure out what is going on. Now, suddenly, I look at the tree as if I'm anticipating and wondering what could possibly be happening. And this makes me look closer and closer into the vivid experience before me. Although it might seem like a strange comparison, I think it is comparable to sex. I think the psychedelic mindset is comparable to sex. That is, sex seems to capture our attention so fully due to being euphoric and desired. And on these psychedelic experiences, the sensation of the sun on my skin was as intense as what I would say sober sex is. 
It was almost better, even. Supremely comforting, as I felt my perspectives on life were disappearing the more I focused on these moments. My ability to experience my senses was just super enhanced. So I had an epiphany about the echo effects that I noticed and that some people report on these kind of uh, experiences. So it is possible that normally we hear a sound and its echo so much that we we are conditioned to pair both stimuli. We pair the source sound, let's say the ring of a bell, with the echo of that bell sound on the walls around us, and we pair it to become one sound. They are such a consistent... Uh, there is such a consistency that it occurs with the sounds in that room and the echoes that are produced that we've bound these echoes to the source sounds as if they were one. And I think you could even dissect it further that the sounds from the objects are bound within themselves moment to moment in order to produce the consistency that we identify and symbolize as being those sounds. In that sense, you can, you can view all the different stimuli in our experience as being um, a symbol of our, uh, in our minds. They are objects. They've been packaged and compressed to become one single unit. And further, you can say that there is a synesthetic webbing that binds the sounds of those objects to the three-dimensional model in your brain of those objects as well. So if it's the bell, you pair the visual stimuli with the auditory stimuli as one. This is a kind of synesthesia that we experience on a daily basis. And so when we experience these kind of psychedelic experiences, what may be occurring is that we are now disconnecting the associations that we've previously learned. All of our habitual processes, our scripts guiding our daily lives are stripped away. And this leaves us with an experience of the bell and the echo being separate entities that you are unsure of. You are, not, you are no longer sure that the sound of the echo is paired with the bell anymore. And this may be akin to the kind of reprogramming abilities that people report on these psychedelic substances. So, as I am in these mountainscapes, the sounds of the echoes seem to occur separately and be their own objects. They appear to me as if they are separate entities from the source sounds, and this produces strange effects. I believe that, that it is likely that we normally filter out our awareness of the reverberations of auditory events in our 
daily perceptions. So, for example, in a room, you constantly are exposed to the reverberations and the echoes bouncing off of the walls that you have learned to just completely ignore it. You probably do not recognize the echo in the room that you stay most in. But you might notice that if you enter a new space uh, with different dimensions and different reverberation qualities, that you will notice the reverberations again. You will be able to hear those sounds because you may have not learned to filter them out in that room with different dimensions. So, for example, in a very large hall, you may hear the reverberations much more clearly because you are not usually in such an environment. But if you spent years in those environments, you may not pay attention or notice them. You may kind of stick together the sounds of the source sounds and the reverberations. And so... With this experience, it is inducing an effect as if I've never experienced anything before, so much that even the source sounds themselves may not appear as, uh, as a unified object. They begin to atomize. I've used the term cognitive atomization to describe the effects of states like these. And so that is a kind of interesting aside about why... So, so I didn't... I should clarify. Some people report echoey sounds on psychedelic trips. People report noticing echoes and repetitions and stuff like this. I think it's possible that um, there are multiple things going on. I think it's possible that... There's our cognitive reverberations actually occurring, but I think also we become distinctly aware of the reverberations that we've become numb to and chosen to filter from our perception in daily life. So, I've often compared the psychedelic states like these uh, to the childhood critical period. This is something that other researchers, such as Robin Hart Harris, has also noted as well, that the psychedelic state may be very much similar to the kind of a, a state of mind that children are in. And there is actually some evidence of this, which we will get into now. So, there is overlap with psychedelic intoxication and the state of mind that infants are in with uh, neurogenesis, the development of new cells in the brain. This is something that we usually have much less of as adults, but it seems that psychedelic drugs may be capable of bringing back neurogenesis. And... On a similar note, there is neuroplasticity, the ability to change and restructure the neurons in the brain and the pathways, and 
the physical structures in the brain. I won't go too much into detail about uh, the physical, the physiology of this, but if you go to the blog, uh, mad.science.blog, you can see one of the recent articles is the Phoenix Effect, uh, and it talks about some of that. It talks about spinogenesis, neurogenesis, um, a couple other different things. It talks about this idea of reversing learning, because if you think of learning, uh, when children are growing up, they undergo something called synaptic pruning, in which they uh, kind of delete many connections, or they they don't, they uh, uh, get rid of dendrites at the end of neurons and stuff like this. And uh, the idea, though, is that the more you learn something, you kind of cull. Uh, the wrong things out. So if you think of life and learning, uh, say you're something akin to a blank slate, uh, you can imagine that learning to walk is kind of a trial and error process. You kind of move in all these different directions and slowly realize uh, uh, what your body, how your body works and how to move it and how to um, navigate gravity, how to navigate spatial dimensionality and different angles of movement, how to move forward, how to use your limbs to propel you forward, all kinds of stuff. And while you're doing that, there's many wrong things to do. There's, there's more wrong things to do than there are right things to do. And so it may be possible that uh, with all the learning that we do, we get rid of the wrong answers through synaptic pruning. And this is kind of hypothetical, but it is very interesting. Um, there is some research showing that those who do not, uh, uh, seemingly those who do not prune, uh, there might be cognitive deficits. Uh, there's links to autism, for one. There's also links to, um, there's something called dendritic arborization, which is just that you have many dendrites, and uh, that implies that there was not that much pruning, or that maybe you've done the reverse, but I think that's debatable. Um, but there is this idea of dendritic arborization is linked to cognitive deficits, and it might be a representative of uh, that a state that you that your brain is in a state that hasn't learned. If you are not learning or you have some learning deficit, you may not end up ever undergoing the synaptic pruning. And so, psychedelics, in this sense, it may be possible that they are reversing learning. This is a kind of wild idea that it reverses learning, perhaps temporarily by shutting off probably, I think, a memory process of some sort. And I think it's revoking access to some specific kinds of memory that is tied to the serotonin system, but perhaps maybe not other systems. And so I think once we're left... I think the state that it induces is kind of keeping an openness uh, to learn 
new things, and this may allow us to overwrite the old. Okay, let's see. Um, So this idea of the Phoenix Effect, it's essentially the idea that you can be reborn by burning everything down and be reborn again. And I am calling the effect induced by the psychedelics the Phoenix Effect. It is... um, Yeah, so... Let's see, I'm going to see... I don't want to get too technical in this episode, so I'm kind of thinking where to go next. Um, So we often talk about the default mode network, which is kind of a resting state network in the brain, uh, comprised of different regions being active. Uh, It seems to be suppressed under the effects of psychedelics, but also... The children seem to have less connectivity in the same network, which presumably may be due to the fact that they may have not essentially designed it yet. They may have not developed it. And another thing to consider is that the uh, something that is inversely correlated with this resting state network is an action state network, which is more involved when you're actively engaging with the world around you. So in that vein of ideas, we could view the effect of something uh, like a psychedelic as hurling us into the present moment, where we may not be able to choose to hide away from the world in our default mode networks. Another thing is daydreaming is associated to the default mode network, it appears. So this may be part of how it helps people with their uh, mental health problems like depression. It may be that people could be avoiding their problems, which means that they will never be solved. It may be that they have a state of learned helplessness in which they are literally just conditioned almost biologically to suppress uh, the things that are seemingly unsolvable. Okay, so there's another interesting area that I think we should focus on. It is perceptual calibration. So I think that part of the thing... So another thing I should state is I think that the state of mind, if it wasn't already clear, the state of mind that the children are in may be very similar to the state of mind that psychedelics induce. And one of these things is perceptual calibration, which it may be that when we are learning to, let's say, speech, when we are learning to navigate language, um we might need to be acutely aware of all the distinct sounds that are in our environment and in language. And as we learn, the more that we learn which aspects of the auditory spectrum and um, patterns that exist within temporal movements in the auditory spectrum, that is, Uh, these sounds and shapes that occur through time, 
So the way that my mouth is generating um, time-based patterns of auditory events, uh, these may be learned, and the ones that uh, are completely absent in our experience, like say I am an English speaker and there might be some Cambodian language, let's say, uh, the kind of phonetic sounds that they use will be very different from the ones used in English. And so my brain may just prune away the unnecessary details of my experience, creating something more abstract. Something more like taking a three-dimensional model and turning it into a cartoon, in essence. And so, um, so this idea of perceptual calibration, it is the idea that, um, that we have a, an extremely acute awareness of all of our sensory experiences because we still need to figure out what's important. And so the effect of the psychedelic may be that it brings us back to these highly acute awareness states. And so it might be possible to actually train people to learn new languages without developing as much of a lisp. Uh, because that that is the explanation of why people may develop lisps, is that they are strange phonetic sounds that are not native to that person's language. So another thing that's kind of interesting is eidetic memory which is uh, just uh, photographic memory. Children sometimes have this, but it's completely absent in adults. Now, it wasn't, uh, it did not exist in 100% of the adult, adults in the study that found this, but the ages of these children uh, weren't that young. I think it was five or seven years old. I can't remember exactly right now, but um, it may be possible that we drop eidetic memory for something wet, much more efficient, like tying um, memories to language, which are much more abstract and um, almost non-representational in a way. We use language to associate with representational experiences, like sensory experiences, but language itself is kind of non-representational. It's just abstract, or it's perhaps just sounds, or written language, so a kind of picture of symbols. And with this in mind, um, eidetic memory may be much more inefficient, and so we may just drop it entirely as we become adults. And so it may be possible that infants are heavily reliant on eidetic memory, and then at varying rates, they abandon it as they get older because it's unnecessary. And there's another interesting thing that ties into this, and it'll all make sense in a moment. Um, there is something called aphantasia, which is the loss of the ability to visually imagine things in your mind. And as you can kind of tell 
photographic memory and aphantasia, or the ability, photographic memory and the ability to have visual imagination are probably pretty similar. It may be that people with aphantasia have developed uh, more clever strategies in some sense to process the world around them that they've basically just abandoned um, their ability to imagine and now they have aphantasia. So I think it's possible that aphantasia is also lost with aging at varying rates. And what's interesting is that ayahuasca, one of the other serotonergic psychedelic drugs similar to mushrooms, uh, this drug has cured someone's aphantasia, at least in one case study. And that is quite interesting. I think it's possible that this is bringing people back to their childlike state of mind. And so, I think, I think for now, we're actually going to end it here. And I hope this was kind of interesting. I kind of mixed, if you want to read, there is uh, the first half of this, the experience. It, it goes, I go into that in the post-shamanism. Uh, if you type in shamanism into the search bar at the quirky database, in the sidebar, you'll find it. Uh, yeah, you'll be able to read that article. And the second one, if you type in the Phoenix Effect, you'll be able to read that. There, there are two different Phoenix Effect articles. Um, one of them is a bit more scientific and detailed. And so if you're curious about that, um, it gets really into the nitty-gritty of a lot of different things, of the receptors of Alzheimer's, of sensory perception, aging, um, and different patterns in the research that uh, support the hypothesis that psychedelics may resemble the uh, state of mind that children are in. And the other one, so that one is called Reversing Age with Psychedelics. You'll, you'll see it. The other one is just called The Phoenix Effect. There is no subtitle. And that one kind of questions, uh, is red also red for you? And it uses this idea uh, to kind of explore. Is it possible that we see different colors? Uh, is my red actually your blue? How would we know? We can never break the barrier of subjective experience, or so we think. There, We might not be able to check if we are similar, but there are actually ways to check if we are different, at least. So, go check that out. Um, I hope this was a quite uh, entertaining story that we've had in this episode. Um, yeah, and uh, you'll see some... I'll leave these articles in the links... Uh, I'll link them in the description in the bottom below, and hopefully we can start doing podcasts again. I'm going to try to do this more frequently. I just got a little update, I guess, for the outro. I just met up with Kevin Ronka virtually, and he's done some interesting work, uh, some political documentaries uh, that featured 
burning Bur- Bernie Sanders um, was called. Let me see. Um, so if you look up Kevin Ronk on IMDb, you'll find him. But he's done uh, the Revolution Televised. That's what it was called. And he's also done another film quite recently. Uh, so that was in 2016. He did another one called Nightcrawlers about chemicals and drugs, and I think it st- goes into stigma. I'm about to watch that pretty soon. Um, but yeah, I met up with him, and we talked about a lot of crazy stuff. My experiences, some stuff that I've never even talked about. There's some crazy stuff about my life that I've never opened up about. I'm probably going to do that pretty soon, because... Uh, that episode, it's only going to be 12 minutes, but uh, it's probably not going to cover crazy amount of what we talked about. We did a whole hour, um, and at some point, I am going to upload that. It, that'll be pretty interesting. And um, Other than this, I am just at university. I'm networking like crazy. Some of you probably know that I am doing that. I talk to just crazy amounts of people. It's almost like a crazy social media addiction. (laughs) But at the same time, I'm also meeting so many people who are uh, very fascinating and valuable. I've met a lot of academics going to various schools across the country and across the world even. And that is kind of helping me shape my experiences, shape my communication styles, and just so much. I recommend... Uh, even if it seems like a waste of time going on the internet and socializing, I actually think it can be valuable. But keep in mind, you'd want to branch off. Don't just don't sit in some echo chamber. Don't do that. Um, explore, traverse the cyber uh, landscape and see what you can find. But anyways, let's wrap this up. And I guess I will see you guys in the next episode. Goodbye.